0: Welcome to Fertility Friendly Food. I'm your host, Stephanie Velarkis, accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist and director of The Dietologist, an Australian-based practice focused on optimizing fertility through nutrition. This podcast will bring you snack size episodes for you to learn, grow, and be inspired by the latest research, facts, and practical lifestyle tips about eating well for optimal fertility helping you cut through the confusion and myths to take back some of the control on your fertility journey, one bite at a time. Before we get into today's episode, just a brief note and trigger warning that miscarriage and loss is mentioned in this episode. So if that is a bit too difficult to hear about, tune in to another episode and I am sending you so much love if this is a trigger for you and my heart goes out to you, but I just wanted to give you a heads up before we get into it. Welcome back to another episode of Fertility Friendly Food The Podcast. My name is Stephanie Velakis and I am an expert fertility dietitian and nutritionist and founder of The Dietologist and of course your host. And today I am welcoming a very special guest, Lucy Lines from Two Lines Fertility.
1: Welcome, Lucy. Hi, Steph. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Thank you.
0: We are excited to have you to pick your brains about this topic that I know you are so passionate about. We were just talking before we press record how you can talk about this topic all day, which is toxins and endocrine disrupting chemicals and their impact on fertility, which I know my audience is definitely going to be interested in. But before we dive in, can you tell us a bit about who you are, Lucy, and and what you do?
1: So I am trained as an embryologist. I worked clinically for um, quite a lot of years. I've been in the field of fertility for coming up 21 years this year um, and have worked in lots of labs all around the world and, and through working in different labs and different countries and different cultures and different ways of doing things, I, um, came to the realization that there's a big gap in the fear, in the, in the whole treatment of fertility from the person who's sitting on their sofa, wondering why they're not getting pregnant through to finding themselves suddenly doing IVF. And so I had an opportunity to fill that gap a couple of years ago when I was made redundant from my role. Um, in the marketing department at an IVF clinic and I um, set up Two Lines Fertility. So now I do one-on-one fertility guidance and support, um, guiding people to the specialists who are going to be able to help them. So I do a bit of Fertility 101, sort of what we should have been taught at school but weren't, um, and also guidance through actual IVF cycles. Um, But I also have a lot of people like yourself that I... um, Defer to for the other specialities that that obviously I don't have, so that's yeah. kind of me and what I do. Yeah,
0: amazing, and what a amazing history that you've had in this fertility space and a unique pathway from I guess being in the clinics to now working with people one on one. Because I mean, how much contact do most I guess patients? I hate using that term, but anyway, but <laughs> um, I guess how much contact would a patient have with their embryologist? in a cycle.
1: That's something that's changed significantly over the 20 years Mm. I've been in the industry. When I started um, as an embryologist back in 2000, part of my training was Talking to patients, so we spoke to patients or clients. They were called, they are called patients, but I call them clients now. Um, yeah, <laughs> we would ring them and tell them how their how their embryos were growing, and we would talk to them before their embryo transfer about what their embryos mm. looked like, and we talked to them after mm. their egg collection about how many eggs they got and what they looked like and what was going on, and and really help guide them through that whole embryology process. These days, mm. embryologists are often hidden very much out in the back room um mm. and their training doesn't really include as much patient contact and mm. so yeah no patients sort of hold their doctors up on on great pedestals as the the doers of all things in a fertility cycle when actually mm. yes the doctor helps get the raw materials to the lab but then they have mm. nothing to do with it after that it's entirely mm. up to the embryologists.
0: yep yep i when i Took a tour recently of a fertility clinic. I was like, I want to know what's in there, please take me back there. That's where the action happens. They won't take you in there, though. They
1: can't take no. you in there. It's all clean room and all the scrub in and Sterility. scrub it out. And, you know, I yeah. remember when I got my first job as an embryologist, my brother saying to me, You've literally found your perfect job, Lucy. I'm like, Why is that? Like, you get to be in your pajamas all day. <laughs> Yes, please.
0: And then lockdown happened and now we're all in our pyjamas all day. Now we're all in our pyjamas all day. So it's great. (laughs) It's great. It's great. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Where did, I guess, the interest in pursuing a career in this fertility space, and obviously we've just heard a little bit about your transition from, you know, clinical into kind of this more private space of guiding people. I guess where did it all come about for
1: you? Well, I actually did an undergraduate degree as a um in the agricultural science, and I worked then as a veterinary nurse for a while, and I, I remember quite clearly one week where we artificially inseminated two thousand sheep in a week, and I thought, I love this idea of artificial insemination, and you know I didn't even really know what embryology was, but I just loved the science behind reproduction. Um, mm. but I really don't want to do it in cows and sheep. and mm. so then I discovered a course at um, Monash Uni called a postgraduate diploma in reproductive science and I thought well that ticks the box and I went and did that and I still didn't even really know what an embryologist was then I just knew that I loved the the space and the science and the opportunity to help people Um, and someone I was volunteering in a research lab one day a week practicing dissecting the uterus and fallopian tubes out of mice which is very tiny and very hard to do um and doing my mouse embryology and uh, the the lead scientist in that lab said Lucy I've got a job for you and she put me up for a job at, at Monash IVF in Melbourne and there started my career and I, even then I still didn't really know what it was I just mm. um went into it and went oh my god this is so it this is just perfect this is exactly what I want to do
0: and a lot less tiny. <laughs> a lot less tiny but
1: still really tiny. Still really really still tiny. tiny. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, I remember my mind being absolutely blown in my like advanced physiology lectures of embryology and I I distinctly remember this exam question where we had to we had to do a full diagrammatic from like day 1 to like you know day 14 of how the embryo develops and what you know cell signaling is happening and it was so complex and hard and yeah it completely blew my mind and I just remember thinking at that time and I was I was young I was in undergrad science I remember distinctly remembering at that time I was like gosh how does this go right for anybody totally like that 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 was the thought that came to my mind like There are so many things. And it was like, and if this goes wrong, this goes wrong. And if this goes
1: wrong, this goes wrong. And you know how (laughs) I spend so much of my time with my one on one clients. They say, but why didn't all of my eggs fertilize? okay let me explain to you the fertilization procedure process not procedure but you know the the process of fertilization is a series of chemical events that have to happen in a certain order and it's amazing any of them did let's move on from that one like you know and and there's a yeah. If people go into IVF and they go, right, well, I'll just have my eggs collected and then I'll get an embryo and it'll be transferred and I'll get pregnant. It's science. Of course it's going to work. Mm. You know, if I have my knee reconstructed, I can expect that in a week's time I'm going to be able to stand up and walk around on my new knee. Um,
0: mm.
1: But the expectations are completely different with IVF. Well, they should be. They aren't, mm. but they should be um, because we can't mm. control it all and, and there's so many points where things can go wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it always makes me – So amazed, and yeah, when bodies make it work, because it's like, holy moly, there are so so many little steps that need to happen before it all goes right. Absolutely. Well, let's get into today's topic, Lucy. Um, Obviously, as a fertility dietitian, I talk a lot about diet and nutrition when it comes to fertility, but there are a lot of other factors that come into play when it comes to the impacts that it can have on our potential to reproduce and they include things like our our stress and the psychology of it all as well as environmental exposures so when we talk about I guess quote-unquote toxins and the like what are we talking about specifically because I'm always a bit (laughs) skeptical about how people interpret the word toxins and so I want to give a really clear definition before we like go into into it in more depth
1: I 100% agree with you, Steph. Um, People do tend to hear the word chemicals and toxins and go, oh, my God, I've just got to delete all the chemicals from my life. So you know what? Water is a chemical. Breath is a chemical. Um, Coffee is a chemical. Literally everything is a chemical. Um, There are some chemicals that have been identified as specific chemicals that interrupt how our hormones work. And the reason that they've been identified that way usually is because they mimic how our hormones work. So BPA, for example, is a hormone that looks just like estrogen. So it fits into the same receptors as estrogen does. So it blocks the receptors that estrogen does, causes a problem. So specifically when we're talking about, when I talk about toxins and fertility in, in my course, or when I am talking about um, EDCs on my Instagram or anything like that, the ones I'm talking about are the endocrine disrupting chemicals. So hormone disrupting chemicals, the ones that have been identified as the ones that are going to interrupt how your hormones work. Yeah. Exactly.
0: And what are the impact of these endocrine-disrupting chemicals, or EDCs for short, on female and male fertility? And we'll go into, like, how to avoid them and so on in a second. But, yeah, I I mean, I completely resonate with what you're saying. Like, water is a chemical. There's naturally occurring chemicals in nutritious foods and so on. And so people automatically think of artificial flavours and preservatives, which, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely are part of the, the picture, but we're looking at more of a broader lens, right and thinking about the ones that are really going to have a potential negative impact on hormones. So which ones and how do they impact female and male fertility individually?
1: So BPA is the most researched one and that's the one most people resonate with. Most people hear BPA and they think, oh, I've heard of BPA. I don't know what that is. I don't, you know, you go down that aisle in the supermarket to buy a new lunchbox or a new drink bottle or a new container for your pantry or something and it's got a little sticker on it that says bpa free and you go great whatever the hell bpa is excellent move on um bpa is bisphenol and it is has been very well researched and is known to mimic the way estrogen behaves in your body so it interrupts how oestrogen works um, and that then impacts your fertility by longer time to pregnancy, decreased egg quality, um, increased likelihood of uh, miscarriage, increased likelihood of stillbirth. um, The list goes on and on. It's a great long list of things that BPA is, is shown to do in our bodies. So we definitely don't want BPA anywhere near what we're doing some of the lesser researched ones but still identified are things like parabens and phthalates um and often these things are found in stuff we do every day they're in like i said our drink bottles and our our lunch boxes and the plastic wrap we put on our food when we make a sandwich and the bag that our muesli comes in and you know all of that kind of stuff can can inadvertently expose us to some of these toxins i think the um, the environmental working group in the us who are um, one of the groups that have done quite a lot of this research have identified over a thousand chemicals known to interrupt how your hormones work the edc free europe campaign uh, it's a group of people from 70, 17 different countries in europe who are trying to make europe endocrine disrupting chemical free they've identified over 1,500 individual chemicals of concern that they want banned in the EU. In Australia, no one's doing anything except maybe me and a handful of other people um, going, hold up a minute, we've got to do something about this because we are being exposed all over the shop all the time and it's impacting things like miscarriage, time to pregnancy and and stillbirth and and these are things and sperm counts as well. Let's not forget about mm. the boys um mm. sperm counts too and we've got to get on top of it we've got to do something about it
0: yeah yeah i remember when i looked at the literature on this topic a few years ago um i just couldn't believe like the lack of effort that the australian government or any kind of group
1: here was doing on this topic because <clears throat> i think unfortunately it falls into accelerate. Hippie, it falls into the hippie camp everyone goes mm. oh you big hippie you know even my family you know i sit here going i'm a scientist with 20 years of experience and, mm-hmm. and you know, six, six, seven years of university before that, I know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. I know how to read a literature review. I know how to read a scientific article and I know that this stuff is actually factual. Like we need to do this stuff and they'll go, oh, blah, blah, how does this sit with you? And I'm like, no, I'm not a hippie. This is necessary.
0: Yeah. And I think this study that really resonated with me and the study that I often quote to my clients when I talk about this topic, particularly in relation to food and the way that we package food, um, prepare food, heat food, and so on, is there was a study that was done and they gave people a, a more processed packaged diet for three days. And then they looked at the urinary excretion of BPA and it was high, obviously, and then they switched them to three days of a unprocessed, unpackaged, whole foods diet, very, you know, brown paper bag kind of vibe, and they showed a significant reduction of 66% in urinary excretion of BPA. That's in three days. It's quick. And you can turn it a, around.
1: There's a similar study with skincare and um, shampoo body wash, moisturisers, all that stuff. People say to me, but I don't drink my moisturiser. I don't drink my shampoo. I'm like, no, 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 of course you don't. But it goes in through your skin and then it's straight in your bloodstream straight away. And Mm -hmm. um, those, again, So it was four days with this group and they're a group of 16 to 18-year-old girls in America. And same thing, in four days, significant decrease in the urinary output of BPA. So
0: it's easy to turn
1: around if you know what you're looking for.
0: Yeah, and I'm fascinated about the impact that this is also having on maybe, you know, we're starting to see things like, you know, girls are getting their periods earlier in life, <clears throat> like they're starting their first period younger and younger. I used to be average age was 16, now it's down to 11 and 12. And, you know, we're also seeing more and more increased rates of estrogen-related concerns like endometriosis, which could be because we're getting better at diagnosing it, please. but also. Could it also be, to a point, some of this environmental stuff, if you think about the industrialisation and how much of these types of things have come into our world, it is exponential in the last, definitely in the last 50 years, but probably even more so in the last, you know, 20
1: Yeah, actually, um, interestingly, in my course, I have a couple of references for people who have done studies exactly like that, um, with the increasing um, endometriosis and the impact that environmental chemicals have on endo, um, PCOS, but there was a study presented at ESHRA last year, so not this year, but 2020, um, where they proved, well, they showed that Girls who were exposed to BPA in utero. So when mum was pregnant with a female fetus, those girls went through puberty six, on average six months earlier than their counterparts. Yeah, and that wow. kind of stuff is terrifying to me. Because yeah. We, you know, there are people, particularly in the IVF world space people Mm. go do all this stuff to get pregnant and then they go yay i'm pregnant and off they go and you go no no, hang on Mm. what about your kids what about your Mm. two three four five year olds your four year old boy who's building his factories that he's going to need later to Mm. make sperm and he's being exposed Mm. to endocrine disrupting chemicals at three four five years old he's not going to build enough factories because the the hormones are not going to work properly to do that and he's going to have a reduced sperm count when he's older and then you know mm-hmm. it's just knock on knock on knock on and it, it is a bit terrifying to be honest
0: yeah yeah yeah, I totally agree and I, I always have that conversation with my clients as well because I work with them for so long in that preconception and, and fertility treatment phase and they get pregnant, they say, bye, Steph, and I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it's still important to be focusing on these things when you're pregnant as well. Um, absolutely, I think the whole space of EDCs and the impact it's having not just on our fertility and future reproductive health but our present-day health as well because um, I think as well people go, oh, that's a, that's a problem for future me, you know, I'll cut it out 6 6 months before i start trying but there's a potential impact you know along the way as well so what changes or swaps can people start to make that are simple and practical without you know doing the whole i'm emptying my entire pantry fridge laundry shower bathroom right now and like <laughs> just doing a purge <laughs> because obviously that's not really budget friendly to like replace your whole life um so can you give us a couple tips
1: So my first absolute 100% takeaway is never, ever, ever put plastic in your microwave ever again. Um, I'm not anti-microwaves. I think microwaves are really useful. Um, They're great to, you know, just quickly heat something up. But please tip it into a ceramic bowl or plate um, and put another plate on top or paper towel or something. Just never, ever, ever put plastic in your microwave ever again. Even if it says microwave safe, that means that it's safe for the microwave and safe for the container. It's not safe for you so don't mm. ever even if it's bpa free they will have used bps or bpf instead and those are yeah. both just as bad we just haven't researched them quite as much um yeah. so that's my my if that's the only thing you take away from this podcast then then i'm winning um yeah in addition to that don't don't freak out is the other advice i give people you know it's really easy to read some of this literature uh, especially if you do a Google search yourself and you just go, okay, what are these girls talking about? What am I doing? And you start Googling. You will terrify the pants off yourself. Don't do that. Um, but just consciously replace. So don't, when you run out of shampoo, start, then do your research and think, well, hang on a minute. What what should I buy next, next time? Instead of just blindly buying the same thing, what how can I do a little bit better? I don't have to be perfect. I'm never going to be, and I'm never going to be able to avoid these things completely because there are mm. so many exposures you can't control. But there are quite a lot that you can, and and so as you find those opportunities, then rep- consciously replace. It's a process. It takes time. You know, it took me four years before I changed my dishwasher tablets because it was just the last thing that I just couldn't do. Some people do that first. Um, mm. It's just got to got to be what works for you. I. I Discarded all of my perfumes was the first thing I did um, because mm. synthetic fragrance is just full of phthalates and mm. I didn't throw them all away. I put them on a shelf where I can see them and they're pretty and they're pretty, pretty. pretty bottles, <laughs> but, but I just don't use them and and when I do use them now, I sort of get really overwhelmed. So um, mm. be, be calm, um, be structured about your research and um, consciously replace I think would be the best mm. tips. Yeah. I
0: always say like as something runs out, you know, look at it again. I tend to say like I focus on the food related yep. stuff first because, uh, you know, via the skim is is absolutely, you know, a huge thing. But from that study with that 66% drop, I'm like, well, <laughs> low hanging fruit, you go for the biggest players yep. first. So You know, even things like, like you said, BPA-free Tupperware or BPA-free water bottles and all those kinds of things, just because it's BPA-free, it doesn't necessarily mean it's EDC-free. And that's the tricky bicky part about all this is that nobody's telling you that. Um, So I would personally just go for glass, stainless steel or ceramic, everything. So like right now I have a stainless steel water bottle and a glass coffee cup And particularly if you're putting hot things in there or reheating it, it needs to be that. Um, But, you know, if you order Uber Eats one night because you can't be bothered cooking and it comes in that Chinese takeaway container, like it's not the plague, just take it out of the plate and then eat it. Or if you need to reheat it the next day, pop it in the plate and reheat it. But, um, yeah, I've definitely seen people take this to the extreme. So I think those tips are really useful because we can't be in a bubble forever and never touch plastic or anything ever again and just to, you know that's that is a little bit hippy dippy so we can only you know control what we can and then the rest we let go you know if you get a they don't use your keep cup one day and they give you it in a plastic rimmed coffee cup i mean all right it's probably going to be fine
1: and domains of control you know they, these exposures are long term and they're um well yeah long term over a long period of time and so one coffee cup here or one sales receipt there or one you know takeaway container is not going to be a problem but that's why I say make the changes in a slow kind of way so make one change until that becomes really normal until it's really foreign to you to put something plastic in the microwave you just would never do it like why would anyone do that and then you move on to the next one and the next one and the next one and Eventually you get to a point, you know, I I see people now doing things that I stopped doing three years ago and I'm like, oh, my God, people still do that? And I'm like, of course (laughs) people still do that. Like that's really normal, Lucy. You're the weirdo. But um, I I then start preaching to everyone on the street because I feel so so passionate about it. But (laughs) um, it's just about trying to do better, not be the best but do better. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah. What would your top tips be for those who are listening, who are maybe starting to think about trying to conceive or have experienced infertility or loss? As, you know, an embryologist and fertility educator, you know, what would be some of your key guiding little lighthouse beacons for people? My
1: guiding three words are nurture, nourish, protect. And I think under those three words, we can fit everything. We need to nurture ourselves the way our grandmothers might have by eating lots of beautiful, nourishing food and protect ourselves from as many of these bombardments of, in, of these endocrine-disrupting chemicals as we possibly can. We can also apply those three things to the psychology We need to nurture ourselves. We need to be kind to ourselves. We need to nourish our body with information, our brains, our minds with information that supports us and makes us feel good. And we need to protect ourselves from the information that doesn't help us at all. And a lot of people put the endocrine disrupting chemical stuff in that. They're like, too scary, can't read it. And that's why I created the Toxins and Fertility course, because I'm like, it's scary if you Google. But if you do this, you just go, right, cool, 10 top tips at the end. I can do those things. That's easy. Um, and then we can you know, get on with the next bit. And I can do more research later down the line if I want to.
0: Perfect. You know, something came to my mind as we were talking earlier, and I forgot to mention it um but you you were we were talking about the impact of edc consumption on in utero and how that affects pubertal age and i was watching some instagram stories from a midwife and she posted this mind blowing research article about the number of edcs that were identified in the umbilical cord after delivery and i just Oh, I just crumbled. I was like, the kid doesn't, even in the most safest place <laughs> in the little bubble of protection, they're still being exposed. So it's important now, and it's going to be important when you get that positive pregnancy test and throughout your pregnancy and into your child's childhood. So it's worth starting to look at these things like i say with nutrition nutrition's very similar it's going to serve you now from a fertility perspective it's going to serve you in your pregnancy the healthier your pregnancy and it programs your child's future genetics positively to help reduce their risk of future diseases so it's an investment for not just the immediate it's not just the getting pregnant bit
1: 100% yeah. you know if you're pregnant with a female baby that baby has all the eggs she'll ever have the most eggs she'll ever have 3 months before she's even born so when yep. you're pregnant with your daughter you have half of your grandchildren in there as well and yeah, she's wild. creating those eggs while she's in you so the environment that she's in inside you is is impacting how healthy those eggs are we don't have an opportunity to change where we have a minor opportunity an opportunity Mm. to change some aspects of egg health but Mm. um once you're born that's it they're your eggs done Mm. so as a mother carrying a female fetus we have an opportunity to impact our grandchildren our possibility of being grandparents so yeah and that's why I, I set up future fertility safe which is my other mm. um little baby that i love to mm. to do which is talking to mums and carers and dads of young people and mm. also 15 to 25 year olds about what they're mm. doing and how they're impacting their future fertility but mm. that's another whole yeah. conversation
0: yeah yeah absolutely i think fertility education needs to be Done so much younger than what it's currently been doing because it's only happening once people hit a wall with it um, or are starting to think about it, and it should just be really ingrained in uh, what we learn as adolescents. But anyway, that's a story for another day. <laughs> I can talk about that
1: for hours too.
0: I know, I know, I could too. Oh, Lucy, where can people find out more about your work, follow you on socials and learn more about what you have
1: to offer? I am on mostly on Instagram. um, is where I spend most of my time hanging out and you will find me there at Two Lines Fertility or at Future Fertility Safe. Um, You'll also find me on Facebook um, under the same handles and my website is www.twolinesfertility.com.au. I also have a chapter I contributed a chapter to a collaborative book that's coming out that you very kindly read for me and, and reviewed um that is due for release in mid August so that is finally coming soon um and Thanks. that is a collaboration with lots and lots of people uh, I think there are about 10 different authors who've contributed their stories through building their families um and yeah. it's a real tearjerker but it's it's a beautiful story so that's coming soon and Um, obviously my toxins and fertility masterclass um, Mm. which is all about how what these things are how they impact you what you can do about it um, and 10 top tips to to leave with
0: yeah and I will leave the links to all of that good stuff down below and can I just say your chapter in your collaborative book Achieving Parenthood is I'm a slow reader (laughs) and I replied to your email being like Lucy, I would love to do this for you because I love what you do. I want to support you, but I'm not going to lie. I'm not a good reader. <laughs> I used to be a fantastic reader, but as I've gotten deeper into business, um, I struggle to read because I read so many journal articles and review literature and so on. And so I get to the end of the day, I'm like, I don't want to read. So I'm all into the audiobooks now. But your chapter, I felt like, was such a page turner and, and a jerker as well. And... Yeah, I would, I'm sure if that's the start, you know, lots of good things will be to follow. So definitely check that out when it comes out. So follow Lucy's socials to hear more about when that's out as well. Thanks so much for your time, Lucy. We really appreciate your insights and expertise and looking forward to having you on maybe in the future podcast. You
1: never know. Thank you so much for having me, Steph. It's such an honour to be included and I do love a podcast because I love to talk yeah me too
0: we're we healthcare professionals are chatty people
1: <laughs> yeah
0: for sure all right, thanks so much Lucy. thanks sir. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of Fertility Friendly Food. I hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to leave a rating, review and subscribe and share with a family member or friend and we would love to have you tag us at the underscore dietologist of you listening to my podcast. Until the next episode everyone, bye. (laughs)